Welcome to the Baptist Pulpit. This podcast is designed to introduce to the audience Baptist preachers, both living currently in America or across the world, and also to introduce classic speakers, men of the past. There were Baptist preachers that have inspired men like myself for years to preach the Word of God. And they also, through their preaching, highlight Baptistic principles. Hello, and thank you for listening to The Baptist Pulpit. Our classic speaker from the past is Dr. Walter L. Wilson. I pray that the message will be a blessing to you. We'll go through a little bio of his life. Dr. Wilson was born in 1881. He died in 1969. He was the president of Kansas City Bible College. He was a physician, manufacturer, preacher, evangelist, conference speaker, writer, schoolman. His ministry Uh, carried him all over uh, the United States and around the world. He said this, I was saved December 21st, 1896, and became personally acquainted with the Holy Spirit, January 14th, 1914. I began to preach on the streets in Kansas City in 1897. I never went to seminary, Bible Institute, or College of Liberal Arts. Therefore, my education has been largely one picked up from reading books and listening to messages. This message is on the Holy Spirit, and I pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you listen to it on the Baptist pulpit. Thank you, Brother Sanders. I want to talk with you this morning about the unknown God, the Holy Spirit. He's the unknown God because you hardly ever hear a word about him, although he's the person that's in the world. The Lord Jesus sent him to us, but we pay no attention, give him no welcome. And hardly ever in prayer we hear of anybody thanking God for the Spirit or thanking the Holy Spirit for coming. He's the unknown God. So we shall see how important he is and how we should give him some place in our lives as we look in the precious word of God. In Acts 2, verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the object of salvation, for so they could have this lovely person living with them here on earth. The very object of salvation, the very result of salvation, is this lovely, wonderful person. Yet in all the years that I've been listening to preaching, I could count on one hand the evangelists I've heard who said anything about the Holy Spirit at all. Just present the Lord Jesus and forget there's another person that's just as important as the Savior is, just as real as the Savior is, just as great as the Savior is. And all through the Acts, 
When they got saved, they were interested at once in seeing that these folks knew the Holy Spirit. In the last chapter of the 10th, the, the 10th chapter of Acts, and at verse th- 47, Can any man forbid water, said Peter, that these in the household of Cornelius should not be baptized, who have received the Holy Spirit as well as we? Not who had received Christ as well as we, who had received the Holy Spirit as well as we. I never heard an evangelist say anything like that. I never heard any preacher say anything like that. Yet that's what the Word says. Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized? These Gentiles that were saved in Cornelius' home should not be baptized who have received or taken the Holy Spirit as well as we. Why would he say that? Because the presence of the Holy Spirit could be seen. They could realize it. They saw it was so, and therefore they knew that the people were saved. He only comes to save people, and the proof of their salvation was not that they said something, but that Peter could see something. He saw that these people who professed to be saved had received the Holy Spirit, and his presence, the Spirit's presence, proved to Peter that they were saved people. I never heard anybody say it. Yet that's what he said. Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit as well as we, the object of baptism? Then the Holy Spirit is the object of service. Philip went to Samaria and great many were saved. But Philip did like most evangelists. He didn't tell them anything about the Holy Spirit at all. And when the folks in Jerusalem heard that the people in Samaria had been saved, they sent Peter and John down there to tell them about the Holy Spirit. For they knew very well their lives wouldn't be worth anything. They wouldn't be useful. They wouldn't be fruitful unless other, this other precious person was there. And so Peter and John came down to tell them about the Holy Spirit. Then in the 19th of Acts, he's the object of service again. In verse 2, Paul came down to Ephesus, and these were Gentile believers. Apollos had led them to Christ. He was mighty in the Scriptures and proved by the Scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Yet Apollos didn't tell them anything about the Holy Spirit. So when Paul came, he didn't say, did you receive Jesus Christ? He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit? They said, we never heard about him. We don't know anything about him. So it's possible to be a wonderful man of God and leave out this wonderful, precious person. And Paul knew very well their lives wouldn't be useful. They wouldn't amount to anything unless this other person were there. And he told them about the Holy Spirit, and then they received him. He's the object of service. You and I, beloved, cannot make progress in the Christian life without him. You can make lots of noise, do lots of religious work, But you won't know much about seeing things happen unless the Holy Spirit himself works with us. There must always be a double witness. There's a verse in the 8th of Romans that we often, always, nearly always misuse. The Spirit bears witness with our spirits, not to our spirits. The Spirit bears witness with our spirits that we are the sons of God. That is, the Spirit of God speaks when you speak. And the other person you're talking to is moved by it, affected by it, 
The spirit speaking with you convinces the other person that you're telling them the truth. Hidden witnessing the spirit telling you you're saved is the spirit telling the other fellow that you're saved. The spirit bears witness with. You get the same thing in the last chapter of Revelation. The spirit and the bride say, come. And unless both of them say it, people won't come. That's the reason we shout and run all over the platform and pull out our handkerchief and mop the brow trying to get somebody saved. Nobody needs to do that if the Spirit of God is speaking to the heart. The Spirit bears witness with our spirits that we are the sons of God. Now, he's the, the Holy Spirit is the object of recognition. Read in Ephesians 1 at verse 13. A very strange expression, being sealed by the Holy Spirit. The seal is something people can see. I have on my desk, on my uh, wall in my office, a number of diplomas of various kinds. Each one has a seal on it. That seal doesn't tell anybody it belongs to the one that gave it, because it doesn't, it belongs to me. I have silver dollars. I carry two silver dollars with me. And both of them are dated. One's 1881, that's the year of my first birth. The other's 1896, the year of my second birth. I use these dollars for winning bankers and cashiers to Christ. Well, now, I went in to see the maid one time. I went into the Mint in Denver. And they had some bars about the size of a Pullman loaf of bread with a number on each one. I said to the guide, do these belong to Uncle Sam? He said, yes, they do, and these numbers are recorded in the office. We went in the next room, and there was a slicing machine slicing these silver bars into the thickness of a silver dollar. And they were just like slices of a loaf of bread. I said to the guide, do these slices still belong to Uncle Sam? He said, certainly. We went into the third room, and there was a die there that was cutting out the round disks, silver disks, out of these slices of silver and uh, milling the edge at the same time. I said to the guide, do these round things belong to the government? He said, certainly. He's going to get out of patience with me. Then we went into a fourth room, and these round silver discs, oh, yes, I said, do these belong to the government? He said, yes, sir. I said, are they worth a dollar? He said, yes, sir. Are they worth just as much as they ever will be? Yes, sir. Then we went in the next room, and these discs were coming down into a die, and the upper part was coming down, the lower part coming up, and putting on the obverse and the reverse of the American seal. And I said to him, uh, do these still belong to government? He said, yes, sir. I said, are they still worth $100? Yes, sir. Are they worth any more now than they were before? No, sir. Are they any more the property of the government now than they were before? No, sir. I said, why waste your time putting the seal on? He said, because the public won't take them unless they have the seal on. I said, thank you. That explains Ephesians 1.13. People won't believe you're a Christian unless you have the stamp of the Spirit of God on you. They'll just think you're a religious fanatic, that's all. You have a religion, I have my religion, and mine's as good as yours. They'll never say that to a spirit-filled man. Never. Nor a spirit-filled woman. There's something about the presence of the Spirit of God that points you out as a child of God in the grocery store, in the barber shop, in the office, anywhere. Everybody knows you belong to the Lord. That's the seal, the stamp that marks you out as being God's product. You came out of God's mint, and people can see it. It doesn't mean relationship at all. It means ownership 
that is visible. There's a seal on the boxcar on the railroad. The stuff in there don't belong to the railroad at all. But that seal is telling you it's in the care of the railroad. The seals on my diplomas are the same way. The seal on anything else. It's sealed to keep it and preserve it, and everybody can see that it is. Beloved, you ask your heart, do people know you're a Christian by the way you live? I don't mean by what you say, but by the way you live and what you are. That's the stamp, the seal, the mark that God has done something to you, the sealing of the Spirit of God. Then again, it's the object of certification. For reading Jude 24, these have not the Spirit. That's what he says. These have not the Spirit. I know folks who claim to be saved, and I thank God I'm not married to them. Don't have to live with them. They don't have any stamp on them that they came from heaven. There isn't anything of heaven about them. Mean, stingy, fault-finding. I was in a home one time of two folks that claimed to be fine Christians, and I thanked God when I got out of it. They were doing nothing but fussing from the time I got in there to the left. If she said something was pink, he said it was blue. If he said it was 12 o'clock, she said it was 12.15. They didn't say anything, but the other one denied it. It was a curse, an absolute curse, and both of them leaders in Christian work at the church. They didn't belong to the Lord. They, I don't think they were even saved because the presence of the Spirit of God would absolutely keep them from living that kind of a life. Yet lots of homes are like that, fussing, nagging, fault-finding with one another until till their homes are hell instead of a heaven. The Spirit of God does something to you, beloved, and his presence is marked, as we saw in those passages. But in Jude, these are sensual, having not the Spirit. Sensual, living by their senses. We have five senses and too much nonsense. We have uh, smelling, seeing, smelling, tasting, feeling, and the, and the, and the Lord in, in hearing, and the Lord takes us out of the living by the senses to living by the Spirit of God and his leadership. Then again, the Holy Spirit, beloved, is not the third person of the Trinity. Don't ever use that expression. That's an insult to the Spirit of God to call him that. The Godhead is not like uh, three fingers upside this way, with God at the top and the Lord Jesus a little lower and the Holy Spirit way at the bottom. Whenever you call him the third person, that means you think he's in the third place. He's down to the bottom. He don't amount to anything. And he doesn't in most Christian lives. He doesn't. When did you hear anybody thanking God for the Holy Spirit or thanking the Holy Spirit that he came? And there's another expression we use all the time, the indwelling spirit. Well, that's used in the Bible. But we also read that Christ is dwelling in you. You never talk about the indwelling Christ. We also read the Father dwells in you. He says so. The Lord Jesus says so. But nobody talks about the indwelling Father. The very expression in our day keeps us from believing he's a person of the Godhead that's a real person. You don't pray to somebody inside of you. I hope you don't. The Lord Jesus dwells in us by faith. The Father dwells in us by faith. The Savior said so. But we don't talk about the indwelling Father is because we don't recognize him as a person with whom we can have sweet fellowship, who can guide us and direct us and lead us and is a person of the Godhead. That's the reason for it. 
You see, beloved, there must be in the life and in the heart a relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit himself. Then again, the Holy Spirit is not an it. Pray to get it. Pray through to find it. That's a common expression. I made. I was preaching one time in Toronto, and I said the folks that claim to be have the baptism of the Spirit always talk about it. Pray to get it. And in all the the uh, literature I've had on that subject, the Holy Spirit is never called Lord, not once. And a woman took offense at this, and she sent me a lot of her magazines. And the only place in all those magazines the Lord was referred to as a person was in an advertisement of a book. All the rest of it was it, it, it. You call a tree it, you call a dog it, but you don't call a person it. And we wouldn't call him it if we believed he was a lovely person of the Godhead. We couldn't. You just couldn't make yourself do it. I was preaching one time in Seacliff, Long Island, on the Holy Spirit being the Lord of the harvest, as he is the Lord of the harvest, and a woman was, that had to go home Friday didn't hear the message. But when she came back, she heard criticisms of my message, talking about praying to the Holy Spirit, and she didn't believe it at all. No, sir. And when she came Monday night, came back to the conference, she came to me about it, and she did, gave it to me good or bad. And so we sat down on a bench, and she said, Dr. Wilson, the Holy Spirit is not to be addressed. You mustn't have anything to do with him at all. So I said, I want you to listen while I talk to Mrs. Hill. She's sitting over there on those steps of Wesley Cottage. Then she started telling me about the Holy Spirit, and she called him it 31 times in about five minutes. Every reference was it, it, it. So I said, now listen, I want to talk to Mrs. Hill. Mrs. Hill, do you know Ms. Maury? Oh, yeah, I know her very well. Well, it came to the conference, and it stayed until Saturday, but it had to go home on Saturday. But it said it would be back on Monday, and it came back on Monday. She said, why, Dr. Wilson, what are you talking about me like that for? Well, I said, now, listen, I want to talk to Ms. Hill. I'm not talking to you. You know that it came to conference, and I asked it if it was saved, and it said, yeah, it was saved. <laughs> and I said, uh, tell me how you got saved. So I believe that it died for me on the cross and it shed its blood for me. And she said, shut up, that's blasphemy. I said, my dear woman, that's what you've been calling the Holy Spirit. It, it, it. 31 times you called him it. And that woman got up off that bench. Her face was white as a sheet. And she looked at him and said, God, please don't strike me dead. Please don't. I didn't mean to blaspheme that lovely person. I didn't realize that he was a person. And that woman had in her purse 22 cards admitting her to the 22 women's prisons around New York City so she could go in and talk to them about the Lord. And I said to her, how many folks have you led to Christ? She said, not one. I said, the reason you is you are insulting the only person in the world that convinced of sin of righteousness and of judgment. You've insulted him. No wonder he doesn't work in you and through you. And she confessed her sin and made the Holy Spirit her Lord that night. And she wrote me about a month later. She said, Dr. Wilson, I never dreamed I'd see the blessing I'm seeing in my visits in the prison. Everywhere I go, women are getting saved. The reason was she didn't know this lovely person 
but referred to him as an it. Then again, the Holy Spirit is not a helper. He didn't come to help us do something. He came to boss us. He's Lord. Joshua saw the Holy Spirit just outside of Jericho. I know the teaching is to Jesus, but wasn't the Lord Jesus at all. It was the Holy Spirit. Because he had a sword in his hand. Whenever you see a person with a sword in his hand, it's the Spirit. Because when Christ has a sword, it's always in his mouth. You get that in, in uh, Revelation 2 and 3. The Lord Jesus said these seven things to the churches, but at the end of each one, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. The Savior gave the message, but the Spirit stuck at home. He's the one that uses the sword. And in that matter, at Jericho, was a matter of the harvest field going to conquer a city for our Lord. No wonder it was the Spirit of God, because he's the Lord of the harvest. To whom the Savior says we should pray about the harvest field. And I want to tell you something. When I learned this January 14, 1914, I had been saved 17 years among a very fine group of people that love the Bible and love the Word of God and know it and study it. But they had taught me not to have anything to do with the Holy Spirit at all. And that night, after Dr. James M. Gray came from Moody Institute and introduced me to that lovely person of the Trinity, the next morning I began seeing things happen. And the first two girls, sisters, that came in my office on business, I led to the Savior. They had come in often in my office, but I never said anything to them about the Savior because my lips were my own. But last night, January 14th, I gave my body to the Holy Spirit, and my lips were his, and my mind was his, and my thoughts were his. And after we got through with our business affairs, I said, do you girls know the Lord Jesus? Has he saved you? And both of them were in soul trouble. They'd been coming in constantly for about a year and a half, getting advertising. I never said anything to them about the Savior. But this morning, I didn't belong to myself anymore, you see. And those two girls were saved that morning. And God began giving them, I forget how many the Lord gave me that first year. Just one right after the other. Thread salesmen, circus people, doctor, lawyer, and three preachers that I led to the Savior. They were just professional preachers. You see, beloved... This person is the Lord of the harvest. Do you remember in Isaiah 6, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple? John 12 says that was Christ Jesus, our Lord, in his prenatal glory. But farther down in verse 8, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Well, who is that Lord? The same one? No. Paul tells us in the last chapter of Acts, Well, spake the Holy Spirit saying, Whom shall I send who will go for us? The one that he saw as Lord in the 8th verse was the Holy Spirit because it had something to do with the harvest field. That's why. And the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and in the New is Lord of the harvest. In the second chapter of Ezekiel, the Spirit of God entered into me and he said unto me, Go unto this people and carry my message to them. But in, that is the Holy Spirit telling him to do it. But in the third chapter, the Spirit of the Lord entered into me and he said unto me, Go into thy house and shut thy door, and thou shalt be a brazen wall, and shall not speak to this people. That is the same Holy Spirit. Chapter 2 taught him to go. Chapter 3 taught him not to go. And Paul had that experience. In the 13th chapter of Acts, the Holy Spirit said, Separate for me. That's what he said, not for the Father, not for the Savior.
You're listening to a special broadcast of the Bible Institute Hour coming to you from the FERS Bible and Missionary Conference near Bellingham, Washington. All this week we are broadcasting for a full hour from 11 to 12 o'clock over radio station KARI, bringing you messages from the conference grounds directly. You're listening now to a message being given by Dr. Walter L. Wilson from Kansas City, Missouri. Dr. Wilson speaks each morning at the 11 o'clock hour. We invite you to join us for this Bible conference sponsored by Biola here at the First. Our morning Bible hour is at 9.15 with messages on the book of Daniel given by Dr. Charles L. Feinberg. At 11 o'clock, Dr. Wilson speaks. Each evening there is a message by Dr. Wilson or Dr. Feinberg, following which Dr. Louis T. Talbot, Chancellor of Biola, speaks on the theme of missions, showing one of his interesting missionary pictures. We invite you to join us at the first Bible and Missionary Conference, 4605 Cable Street on Lake Watcom, just outside of Bellingham. And remember to pray for the ministry of the Bible Institute of Los Angeles. We appreciate your continued interest and fellowship and participation in this gospel venture for Christ. And now let us return to the platform to listen to the remaining portion of the message by Dr. Wilson. So he joined himself to that chariot and told him about the Lord Jesus, and the Lord Jesus saved him because the man went to the one the Spirit wanted him to go to, for he is the Lord of the harvest. When Cornelius was in soul trouble and praying in the afternoon at 3 o'clock, he said, I saw a man in bright clothing who said to me, send up to Joppa. You'll get Peter up there, and he'll come down and tell you words whereby you and all your house may be saved. Who is that man in bright clothing? Well, Peter tells us. He said, I was on the housetop praying at the noon hour, 12 o'clock, and the Spirit of God said to me, Behold, three men seek thee. Go down, go, doubting nothing, go with them, because I sent them. The Holy Spirit said so. He's the one, that man in bright clothing that Peter, that Paul saw, uh, that Peter saw. He's the one that told uh, Cornelius to send up and get Peter. Peter said so, the Holy Spirit of God. So Paul, or Peter saw him, got this message, and, and uh, Cornelius saw him and got this message. And the result was Cornelius and his household were saved. I say to you, precious friends, he's a person, a lovely, precious person, and you and I can't get anywhere in Christian life without him, but we ignore him. We don't pay attention to him. You listen to people pray. You won't hear them saying anything about him. The best of our men ignore him. Not a word of thanksgiving because he's present. You say he came to me when I got saved. Well, did you give him a welcome? Did you pay attention to him, beloved? Did you say anything to him? Tell him how glad you already came? Did you, was your heart glad that he came? And has your heart been glad since then? Now, what we do is, is unfortunate because it wrecks our lives, Christians' lives. We read over in uh, the 16th of John and in the 14th of John, and when the Lord Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, the Savior said, He will teach you. Remember? The Savior said, when He's come, He'll teach you. So when you open your Bible, do you expect Him to teach you? When you go out or in the service of the King, do you expect Him to teach you? Do we have in our hearts a desire to be taught by Him? He will teach you all things. Now, I want to learn to play the piano. And so uh, I get a, a songbook. I want to learn to play the songs. 
And so I go to the Conservative Music. I call him up on the phone and I ask for Mr. Jones, the president of the Bellingham Conservatory Music. And I say, I want to learn to play. I have a hymn book and there's a nice piano over here. It's a Hamilton or something rather. Very nice piano. And I want to learn to play. Very well, we'll send Professor Talbot. He's our best teacher. Thank you, sir. So he comes and he's sitting right here. And I'm glad he came. I don't tell him so. But I'm kind of glad in my mind that somebody's here that knows. And so I sit at the piano and I open my hymn book. And it says down here, writ. R-I-T, writ. Now, I bought that at the drugstore at Easter time for Easter eggs. But what's this stuff for in this music? And then it says cress. Now, I've eaten watercress. What kind of cress is this stuff? And down at the bottom it says, fine, I haven't played it at all. And then I see it says D.C., District of Columbia. What's that got to do with this music? And so I go and I call up the president of the conservatory and I say, say, uh, Mr. Jones, I find some funny things in this music that I don't understand. I see some of the notes are black and some of them are hollow and some have tails on the ends of them. And then I see this word writ and crest and D.C. and fine. And I don't understand these. I want you to explain it to me. And he says, well, we sent a teacher to you, didn't we? Yeah. Did he come? Yeah, he's sitting right here. Well, we sent him to teach you. Yeah, I know you did, but I've got to come to you and ask you to make him teach me. Why don't you ask him? I said, I haven't got sense enough. That's right, that's the way we treat the Holy Spirit. I heard a man yesterday ask the Father to teach us. What an insult to the Spirit of God, to absolutely ignore him and ask the Father to do what the Spirit came to do. That's his business. You might as well ask the Father to die for you on the cross. I heard a preacher do that in, in St. Louis. He said, Father, we thank thee for dying for us. Father, we thank thee for bearing our sins. And Father, we thank thee that when they buried thee, thou didst not stay buried, Father. We're glad thou didst come out of the tomb, Father, and the Father never did it. It's just as sensible. The Savior did the dying. The Savior did the suffering. The Savior's the one that was born in a manger, not the Father. There are three separate, distinct persons. And each one does something. And it's the Lord Jesus that does the dying, but it's the Holy Spirit that does the teaching. And yet I don't hear anybody say, now, Holy Spirit, we expect you to teach us. We gather together in the service and we expect you to teach us. You came to do that. Oh, beloved, your Bible will be a new book to you when you go to the teacher about it, the one that came here to do the teaching. Your Bible will be a new book. That's the reason so few of God's people ever get anything out of the Bible. They come and listen to the sermon, they expect the preacher to get something, but they don't get anything. And I entirely avoid many of the books in the Bible, like Ezekiel and Daniel, that our beloved brother's talking to us so well about. Just ignore a lot of these books because they ignore the teacher. And he would make the most barren spots in the Bible filled with the joy of the Lord and the blessing of heaven if we go to him to do the teaching. Now the Holy Spirit wants your body. Romans 12 and 1 is talking about the Holy Spirit getting your body. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, 
by the mercies of God that you give your body, present it. Make a present of your body, B-O-D-Y. Who do we give it to? The Father don't need your body. He's living in heaven on his throne. The Lord Jesus don't need your body. He's got his own body. He took it to heaven with him. A body of flesh and bones. And our brother was telling us about it the other day. He has his own body. But there's another person who has come here without a body. And he gives every Christian that's here the privilege, the joy, the honor of giving your body to him. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Pulpit. 2 Timothy chapter 4 says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. We pray that through the challenging preaching of the Word of God today, that you will be encouraged to stay faithful in preaching the Word and hearing the Word. Lester Roloff many years ago said, the world's greatest need is preaching preachers. Let's pray that in this day and this hour, we will stay faithful to the preaching of Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening to The Baptist Pulpit.